fellow meditators. So here we are, the beginning of our uh, third day of practice together. And so want to, today before we meditate, to talk a bit about the third of these uh, groups of four contemplations in the Anapanasati Sutta. And this isn't a leaving behind of the first two groups, the first eight contemplations that we've been looking at. It's more kind of expanding our contemplative repertoire, if you like, and in a way I think of um, shining the spotlight on the present moment from just another angle. So we're still using, going to be using the awareness of the breath and the body to uh, repeatedly reconnect with this moment as it's unfolding. But it's just that this, this next uh, group of four contemplations invites us to look at it in, in yet another way. So we're kind of deepening, expanding our understanding of what's, what's going on in this moment of experience. <clears throat> so the, the four contemplations this morning go like this. One trains oneself to breathe in and out, sensitive to the mind. One trains oneself to breathe in and out, gladdening the mind. One trains oneself to breathe in and out, composing the mind. One trains oneself to breathe in and out, freeing the mind. So we're shining the spotlight of awareness onto the mind itself. And this maps onto the third way of establishing mindfulness in the teaching on the four different areas that we can establish mindfulness, which is mindfulness of mind. So the question then arises, well, what, what is mind? <laughs> and the, the Pali word for this is chitta, which is we usually translate as mind, but actually it's more uh, useful to think of it as the, the heart-mind, as one thing. Because it's not so much the intellect as um, that which receives and is affected by and impacted by our experience. Uh, uh, the suffer, the, it's the mind that suffers. You know, it's not really the brain, is it, that suffers. It's the, it's the mind that suffers. So I've heard the French teachers talking about it as the esprit, and that kind of makes sense to me if, if you know a bit of French. Yeah. So... That which receives and is affected by our experience and which responds to it. And we can, we can kind of overthink too hard about what, what is that. But we don't have to be able to define it in order to, to feel it and to experience it. And our common sense observation you know, shows us that our, our mood colours our experience doesn't it? And the mind that's the filter and receiver for all our experience is always in a mood of some sort or the other. So when we, when we um, become aware of the mind, we're looking at the, the mind in its moodedness or the moody mind or the experience of moodedness and mental states because 
mood isn't necessarily the right word for all the mental states that we experience. So one of the common analogies is like, you know, looking at looking at the sky. There's always some kind of weather pattern happening in the sky. Even the absence of cloud is a is a kind of weather pattern condition of the sky. And you know how that really influences our experience of things. So you know, on a sunny day, there's a, there's a kind of natural, generally a natural gladdening in the heart and about how, you know, when things are dull and grey, we, we also experience the world often in a particular way that's coloured by that. So in cinema, they really make a big deal of that. If you've noticed, every time something sad's happening in a film, <laughs> you know, the rain pours down and so on, and then when everybody's happy, the sun comes out. And you know, This is kind of a... A reflection of how 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 this is, and uh, Jenny yesterday was giving us a really clear um, illustration explanation of how um, how we generally sort of make the mistake of thinking that what's really responsible for um, happiness or satisfaction in our life is what's out there you know that the experience of joy or satisfaction is in the square of chocolate or in the the birds in the basement and actually this teaching and our contemplation is pointing us back to the fact that that the experience of satisfaction or dissatisfaction is taking place in the mind you know we can arrange things out there as much as we like but actually really what's What's responsible for our state of well-being is the mind's capacity to experience uh, satisfaction, and this is so you know so not the way that uh, we're programmed or that our culture conditions us to see things. You know, we we we're constantly um, without practice or training we're constantly relying on stuff out there rearranging stuff out there to keep ourselves happy and this is a bit like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic if we're not attending to the condition of, of what's in here and so the Buddha actually said, if, if you, once we begin to understand to, to see the way that this works we become as particular or as concerned about the state of our of our mind as a, a young man or woman who's beautiful and obsessed with ornaments and the amount of care that they might take over their ex- their appearance and examining your face in the mirror to see whether you've got another spot or a wrinkle or a grey hair. And it's quite interesting to me because how much time do we all worry, <laughs> spend concerning ourselves over what we look like out there compared to how much time we spend really attending to? Well, how's the state of my mind in this moment? It's quite a sobering reflection in all of us. But just to really clock how, how important it is to be tending to the mind in here. So that means that when, when we think there's a problem, we're being invited to check. Or the first thing that we check is, what's the state of mind right now? And it's interesting to me that when there really is a problem, 
You know, the mind often operates with extreme clarity, isn't it? In a state of emergency, it's like suddenly, you know, we know what to do. So I was just um, on, a, on a white water rafting trip with some friends and uh, in the Grand Canyon, and there's the, the most famous, most dangerous rapid in the Grand Canyon. One of the women who was rowing a boat got thrown out of her boat in the middle of the rapid and you've got these enormous waves that are churning you over and over and you'd expect to be churned over and kind of come out a few hundred yards downstream with your upside down boat floating somewhere in the distance and somehow in the middle of this she was flipped out of her boat and within the space of about two seconds in the middle of these enormous waves she managed to grab the boat pull herself back find herself back in her seat and get back on her oars. She had no idea how it happened. But the mind just switched in and knew exactly what to do. And, you know, when there's really a problem, so often these kinds of things happen to us. And yet what the, the, when, when there's something just fairly trivial going on, we create endless suffering about it and we go into endless spins of confusion. So when we're, you know, when we're struggling with uh, restlessness, uh, with uh, feeling that the person near us is breathing too loudly and so on, uh, it can be, you know, the invitation in our meditation is actually to turn the attention back to the experiencing mind. So we need a certain level of calm in order to be able to do that. You know, if the mind is, is very agitated, then actually it's difficult to, to turn awareness back on itself. So we, we need to come back to the earlier steps in this practice. But from time to time now, as we, as, as we find ourselves more in a state of settledness, just to encourage this moving into this third area of actually examining uh, the state of the mind, this having a sense of, well, how am I in relationship to what's being experienced? So breathing in and out sensitive to the mind. And the, the, third founda- the teachings on the third foundation of mindfulness give us um, some kind of uh, expanded directions as to what do we actually attend to when we're attending to the quality of the mind what are you being sensitive to and it directs us to really the ethical quality of the mind to um, the presence or the absence of what are, what are called skillful or unskillful or wholesome or unwholesome states and these the three basic ones are the state of um, of wanting of craving for something, the state of aversion or pushing away, and the state of delusion or confusion. These are the three root afflictions of the mind, and they're the three things that really underlie those five mind states, the hindrances that Jenny was speaking about yesterday. So we, we kind of want to know, is, is, the, is the mind grasping onto something? Is it pushing something away? Or is it just spinning around and around in circles? 
And I think, you know, we have to be very careful when we pick this up as a contemplation, that we do it in the spirit of, of uh, the way that um, Christina Feldman's definition of mindfulness invites us to be, uh, the, or she expresses the willingness and capacity to be equally near all events and experience with kindness, curiosity and discernment. So we, to this, this quality, this non-judgmental quality of mindfulness is really important as we examine the state of mind because it's so easy to take it personally and to think, oh, well, you know, there's an experience of, of anger or irritation here and now I'm an angry or an irritated person or I'm a bad person. And unfortunately, because this is, this is the way that we're conditioned to view these kinds of ethical questions. It can, it, ethics kind of takes us into the domain of judgment, doesn't it? And really here what we're looking at is the domain of health and well-being and flourishing. So to recognise that these are actually afflictive states, but they don't make us a bad person. Our mindfulness is like we're, we're watching things with the kind of curiosity of a naturalist, recognising the mind as a as a natural phenomenon, it's not personal to us. It's a, you know everybody suffers from these mind states, and we just um, start to cultivate this ability to really witness them with a sense of kindness, clarity, and non-judgment. You know, when we when we don't take it personally, we can just notice. Okay, here's a moment of wanting. So also we can allow ourselves to experience moments of freedom from wanting or moments of the arising of wisdom. You know, we don't have to judge whether we're now a wise person or an unwise person. It's just, and this is one of the things about the mind that um, we begin to notice is that it's a constantly changing experience. So to, to check, is there, is there wanting... Is there pushing away? Or is there confusion in the mind? And then the other things that we're invited to notice is whether the mind is distracted or not. Distraction and the absence of distraction. Is the mind contracted, dull, kind of numbed down? Or is it feeling spacious, light and malleable? Is it uh, in a condition where it could be could be further developed? So is it surpassable or unsurpassable? You know, is there is there some greater degree of of freedom that could be found here? Is the mind concentrated or unconcentrated? Is it steady and composed, or is it scattered? And is it free, liberated or unliberated, freed or unfreed? So in the twelfth step, we talk about um, freeing the mind. So the way I understand this, is it, is, it, is it attaching to something? Is it grasping onto something? Is there something that it could let go of? So 
within this the scope of contemplating these these conditions of mind and these four these four steps yeah, or our mindfulness can it, this can be this can be done at all sorts of all sorts of levels of experiencing so mindfulness of the states of mind can it can range from anything like noticing the presence of a really coarse state of anger or lust or um, or craving to a really subtle state of uh, well-being or the most kind of sublime types of mental experience. This is all here in this contemplating of the mind. And the task is the same with whatever's arising is to just calmly notice what's taking place. So breathing in and out, contemplating the mind, just knowing the weather pattern, the condition of the mind in this moment. And as we do that, that takes some of the charge out of um, trying to sort the stuff out out there. So that's step nine, is to, uh, to breathe in and out sensitive to the mind itself. The next step is breathing in and out gladdening the mind so what do we mean by that so we've already been um, practicing being aware of the state uh, states of joy and contentment when they're present and this gladdening the mind is a kind of deepening of that just gently again allowing the mind to settle to move into the direction of a deeper contentment and well-being and I've talked about this training as a kind of gentle nudging of the mind. And that's almost too much interference because really what we're doing here is we're making space for joy and well-being to emerge through the slowly, slowly putting down, disengaging with, not getting ourselves involved or spinning out with the obstacles to it. So it's, a, it's like a kind of parting of the clouds to go back to the sky analogy and allowing the sun shine to shine through rather than trying to manufacture something that's not there so one of the ways to do this is to actually appreciate to savor any degree of um, ease pleasure joy that's already there that's already attained I think the, one of the experiences that really uh, gives us a flavour of this is a sense of gratitude when it arises. You know. The experience of gratitude is a sense of... When it's just a spontaneous arising of gratitude, a moment of grace, there's an appreciation that's not necessarily... Uh, not necessarily bound up to, as I said before, with the, the thing that gives rise to it. Make it but it's actually this, the, the experience of gratitude is something that can actually be separated from the thing that, that gives rise to it. And there's a possibility of experiencing gratitude and gratefulness in each and every moment. And the less, the less entangled the mind is, the more that this sense of uh, natural joyfulness can manifest. So to whatever degree that's present, and all these things are only going to be present in degrees, noticing, noticing that. 
The next step, composing or steadying, calming the mind. Let's say composing. What you say? To breathe in and out, composing the mind. So again, appreciating the value of the collected and steady mind. How much degree of settledness is there? And often this this step will invite us to go back to the earlier steps in the practice. So it's not like, you know, one thing happens and then we, we kind of moved on and we don't bother about the earlier things. But it's actually, okay, you know, can I... Is there something more that can be done? Can the mind rest into more sense of steadiness and collectedness? And as the mind steadies, then it's ready to engage with whatever's there. And freeing the mind. So the, the last step, breathing in and out, freeing the mind. So this is a big deal, of course. If that in mind were totally free, we'd have finished all the practice. So if we're going to engage with this practice at whatever stage we're at, it can't mean that the mind has to be totally free from all its attachments. But what could the mind put down in this moment in order to, to rest into a greater sense of ease or well-being? So what is the mind grasping or holding on to right now? A thought, a demand that something be some other particular way. So it can mean uh, attaching to, to anything that we kind of pick up as being me or mine or something that I need to control. So this is one of the ways that we see this, this, um, this teaching of liberating the mind is liberating it from any sense of ownership, identification, <coughs> needing to be personally in charge of what's happening. But it can also be just freeing it from a sense of restlessness, from a sense of resistance, from a sense of um, sensual craving, just whatever happens to be obstructing it in this moment. So it can be, again, the most kind of gross thing or the most subtle thing. And we're just... Again, allowing the move, the mind to move towards a sense of less and less conditionality in terms of its willingness to be present. And in doing that, then we're really preparing it for the next part of the teaching, the, the next tetrad, of actually where we're really starting to contemplate experience in a very unbiased way. But of course, we're also doing that already in, in order to get there. So rather than you know, thinking about this as a project of I have to liberate my mind from all attachments, it's just an opportunity, an invitation, a reminder to notice in any moment what's been let go of, what's been put down, what's, all, what's it already free from, and is there something else that I can... Can I, can I rest into, even back into a state of more non-doing? Because a lot of this is about putting down the doing, putting down the need to control, the need to intervene. So... As we attend to the to the states of mind again, it's like you know. We, yesterday we were really inviting inviting us to be sensitive to the sense of of pleasure, happiness, joy, and contentment. And it's really 
so important as we as we look at the mind to not not just notice the afflictive feelings there, the difficult mind states that might be there, but to notice the moments of freedom from them. Really, really uh, important. So as we practice today, I'm going to just really invite that in moments where you feel that there's enough uh, kind of calmness and steadiness present, to just see about the sense of, uh, it's, it's hard to explain, but get a feeling for kind of turning the awareness back to the experiencing mind itself and noticing what, what's the state of the experiencing mind itself uh, and how do I respond to that? Okay, so let's do some practice together. Please have a stretch if you need to. So trying to retain in mind all the different thoughts and instructions that we've received can be not so productive, not so can be a little overwhelming. So really just coming back to the simplicity as we begin the meditation of just allowing yourself to take your seat.
to begin afresh the encounter with this moment. As it arises in this heart and mind. Resting the attention on the body breathing. Again, there's no need to control the breathing in any way. Just letting it happen. Letting the body be breathed. Broadening the awareness to include the whole field of body sensations. Being sensitive to the whole body as it manifests in awareness.
letting the whole body, the stance of sensation, be held in this benevolent, non-judgmental, receptive awareness. Awareness riding on the waves of the breath. Just allowing it to soften, to relax, to settle. being sensitive to any sense of enjoyment of physical or mental well-being that accompanies this quietening, this settling. This receiving of the body in awareness. Letting any sense of excitement or agitation that 
any joy or pleasure that's arising might give rise to letting that soften into a sense of just contentment Being aware of what activity, whatever activity is present in the mind. It may be busy with thoughts, it may be quiet. to this moment's experience of a wanting or a not wanting (coughs) perhaps a, a checking out or a dullness just recognizing what's present in the mind. Touching in with the body, with the breath and allowing the activity of the mind, the thinking process to begin to slow down. From time to time, what might strike us is the feeling tone of a particular experience. We can be aware of that part of our experience.
be enough to just rest with the knowing of the breathing in and the knowing of the breathing out. From time to time, you might check in and see what's the mood in the mind right now. to calmly know Is the mind gripping onto or pushing away a thought or a feeling, a sound, a sensation? What happens if I just let this moment be?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.